0: You need indeed.
1: Indiana, home of Pacers Basketball. Miller for three, and he got it. Legends have been born. Miller retreats to the three-point line and hits him again. Memories have been made.
2: Caliburn, a deep three for the lead and memory!
1: Great basketball has been played.
0: Nebhorn away! hits the three of the
1: Rosabores! In 49 states, it's just basketball. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoes, and. and but this. This is Indiana. Yeah! And you're listening to Setting the Pace.
2: Let's go!
1: Your go to. Pacers podcast. Setting
2: the pace with Alex Fachi, Alex Infante. Alex and Allison setting the pace with Alex Infante. Alex Infante. Alex and Allison setting the pace with Alex Infante. Alex Infante. Alex and set setting the pace with Alex Infante. Alex Infante. Alex and Allison. We got Pacers hooping. Let's talk stats, hot takes, all fast, new topics, updates, three pointers, fast breaks. We keep core we'll need to stop new episodes weekly drops this your number 1 podcast sweeping the team. we going to need a mic like pace with alex fachi alex fachi alisha alisha set in the pace with Alexa fachi alex fachi alisha alisha set in the pace with alex fachi alex fachi alisha alisha set in the pace with alex fachi alex fachi alisha alisha set in the pace with alex fachi alex fachi alisha alisha what is going on pacer nation welcome back to another episode here of your go to pacer podcast i'm here with fachi We're going to recap both the Hawks game and the Nuggets game as the Pacers are two games in on their road trip, we are one and one as we speak. What are your thoughts so far?
1: I don't want to pat myself on the back saying, you know, who we lost to, but at the same point, I thought the Pacers absolutely handled business against the Hawks, and they played a game that made you say... If we had Aaron E. Smith and Tyrese Halburn, I think we take down the Nuggets. Or maybe if we just had one of the two, maybe we do win. So while there is no such thing as a, a real good loss, I was not let down by losing to the Nuggets.
2: Yeah, that was a fun game. We're gonna break this up into two segments. So we're gonna start things off, kind of recapping that game against the Hawks. Obviously, want to do this in chronological order of how the games are played. And this game against Atlanta, the Pacers won 126 to 108. And it was once again another group effort. I believe it was seven guys, eight guys in double figures, Spotty, Eight. Eight guys in double. Yeah, four off the bench, four that started in double figures. The Pacers shoot a franchise record, 67.1% from the field. They were unstoppable, and there was a lot that went into this game. They did have a lot of turnovers, 27 turnovers, but it didn't matter because this Hawks team, they are atrocious. This is now the third time the Pacers have set a record against the Hawks in three tries, and unfortunately, we don't get to play them again until the end of the season.
1: I know. So we're talking about a franchise best points. They scored 157 points earlier than a franchise record, 50 assists in the second game. And then now what you mentioned shooting 67.1% from the field, a franchise best. My fear is now that last game of the season against the Hawks, who knows if it matters or not, or what that one is like, but to set a franchise best against the Hawks, every time you play them, man, it makes you want to say, why couldn't we play them five times? like the Bucks or the Celtics or anything like that. But you know what? A win's a win. I was very happy the Pacers handled business uh, against Atlanta, and I just felt like this was one of those situations where it felt like just about everything went right. Pacers didn't have 50 assists, but you know what they had? 41 without Tyrese Halliburton. The ball movement was phenomenal, and I thought one thing they also did great, outscoring the Hawks in the paint, seven. 76-48, to 48. those are two things that I absolutely loved and felt was a great ingredient of getting this win.
2: Yeah, 76 points in the paint is tied for a season high. They did that against the Miami Heat when they beat the Heat uh, without Tyrese Albert. Halliburton. <laughs> yeah. So kind that's of interesting. Their- Both games right. are the most points in the paint. Now, they've had a lot of games. Where they've got close to 70 or 70, but 76 is quite a bit. And holding the Hawks to 108, usually a team that's pretty good offensively I forget what their score was on Saturday if they played Saturday or Sunday I know they played another game after that one but at that point after Friday night's game the Pacers had allowed the Hawks the third fewest points that they've had all season so thought to me that was pretty impressive just because we saw a better defensive effort from this team while they were also being so good offensively I mean if you look at the roster everybody that qualified with two shots or more Jalen Smith was the only guy to not shoot 50 percent or better so That to me showed you just how on fire this team was. Nobody was really ball hogging at all. But even the guy that didn't get in double digits, T.J. McConnell, he dished out 14 assists in just 25 minutes. And so the the Friday before that, Halliburton dished out 18 assists in 25 minutes. So we know his name is Timothy John McConnell. In my article, I wrote Tyrese John McConnell, just because it felt like we saw a little bit of Tyrese out there with T.J. McConnell's passing ability.
1: McConnell looked fantastic against the Hawks, and it it was awesome. That's exactly one of those reasons why we've talked about it. Having McConnell on this roster, it's it's a blessing because when Halliburton's gone down, there's plenty of times that McConnell has stepped up, or McConnell has just stepped up in games that Halliburton has also looked really good. So I think that McConnell has done a really good job this year. But overall, you mentioned it. I mean, everybody had it going offensively. One key stat that I thought that was interesting, or maybe not even not that key, was the Pacers only attempted 18 threes in this game. They made 11 of 18 to be able to win convincingly with with less than 28 three-point attempts. I mean, what was your reaction on that? That is not Pacers basketball,
2: but I love every part of it. When I saw the points in the paint, it made a lot of sense. Yes, it did. That that made a lot of sense to me, just because this is a team that we we hear them preach all the time, paint to great, paint to great. Well, if you get to the paint and no one's stopping you, you don't need to go out to the three-point line and shoot shots. And unfortunately for this Atlanta team, they can't stop a nosebleed. I mean, this is one of the most pathetic defenses I have ever seen. You know, Trocious. they're a pitiful defensive team, and unfortunately they take step backwards in trying to defend the Pacers, the best offensive team in the NBA. So it does kind of make sense, but even without Tyrese Halliburton, man, it is uh, it is quite wild to be how, how efficient the Pacers were against him. But – if we want to talk about efficient, I think we need to go to the bench because the Pacers just dominated Atlanta's bench. Listen to this. They outscored them 73-26, to 26, out-rebounded them 22-8, to eight, and had 25 assists to the Hawks' eight. That's just incredible to me. It, it just felt like the Pacers' strength is really their second unit, and that's kind of what we saw last year a little bit. While Tyrese Halliburton is out, you're going to have to see this bench unit carry the team because I think if the starters can kind of stay afloat and just hang with the other team's starting five when they play against those second units. I think the Pacers' second unit can be that much more dynamic, that they can pull out games and leads for the Pacers uh, when they're when they're without Tyrese Halliburton. Just I mean they've done it all year long with him, but I'm just saying it, they need it more now with Halliburton out because that bench is their strength in terms of you know having that equalizer, maybe not having as dynamic of a starting lineup with Tyrese sideline.
1: Oh it's true because you look at the starters. Out of the starting lineup, Aaron Newsmith led the starting lineup with 13 points. Yeah. But you look at the bench. You had Obi Toppin go a perfect 7-for-7 seven seven from the field for 18 points and 7 rebounds. Love seeing the rebounds there. Then you also had Buddy Healed with 18 points. You had Matherin with 15. All three of those players were extremely efficient. But I also think one guy that we got to give some credit to, and I know I'm jumping around a little bit, was... Isaiah Jackson, I think, just lately has just played really well. And in in this game, he had twelve points, five boards, four steals, and three blocks. He did Mm -hmm. it on six of seven shooting. Uh, There's the craziest stats out there. I saw he's like he's the only player to ever have that stat line shoot eighty five percent or better for the field. I was like, they're just making stats up now. Like this is such a random stat line, but it just shows how efficient Isaiah has been, but also being able to affect the game on numerous sides of the floor, the four steals, the three blocks. I mean, that that is just fantastic all in just 18 minutes.
2: Yeah, I want to stay on Isaiah Jackson because in the second quarter there was two plays pretty much back to back where he got switched on to Trey Young and he blocked Trey Young's three-point attempt. And I think it was just a few possessions later, he ended up ripping the ball from Trey Young when he tried to drive on him. So I think that, you know, Isaiah Jackson is displaying how good his athleticism can be for this team. And we've talked about it a little bit here on the podcast, you know, just having a little bit of a difference between him and Miles and him and Jalen being so athletic, so bouncy, but there's not very many bigs that I think in the league that can hang with a dynamic offensive guard like Trey Young and not get burned. I mean, we've seen it happen from time to time, and I'm not saying that he could do that on a consistent basis, but if he gets switched into that and he can, you know, at least give himself enough of a chance to recover where he could potentially block a shot. He's done that a handful of times this year where I don't know if he's necessarily blocked shots, but he's been able to close out really fast and he might just be an inch or two away from blocking a shot. And I think that just kind of shows how athletic Isaiah Jackson is. And when he's playing like he's been playing, it's really, really hard to, you know, take him out of the rotation despite how many players are playing well at that position. But, you know, offensively, Fachi, he is a very simple player. He sets screens and he lives in the paint. He's either going to be a roller or a lob threat, but I just feel like the the growth we've seen from him from year two to year three is exponentially greater than what we saw from year uh, year one to year two. He has really embraced this role, and I love the fact that when he wasn't being called upon early on in the season, he didn't get his head down, and he kept working, and when his opportunity was called, he's made the most of it, and now the coaches can't keep him off the floor.
1: He has far exceeded any type of expectations I could have had for Isaiah this year. No doubt. I will be 100% upfront and honest, and I think a lot of Pacers fans should, but we were low on Isaiah Jackson to start the regular season. There was not enough shown in the preseason and summer league for a a third-year player to be like, you know what, I feel really good about him taking a leap this year, and It's been awesome, and I want to make sure that I'm eating my own words here because Isaiah has played that well. But, yeah, the bench was fantastic. I I just felt that everybody that got enough playing time was able to contribute. I think the starters were able to get some rest. No one played more than 26 minutes in this game. And just across the board, I I felt like if if only you could play Atlanta more times because the way they've also defended Trey Young this year – is nothing short of spectacular. Trey Young, an all-star caliber player, four of 17 in this game, and he struggled mightily the last time that these teams met. So I just feel like you looked at this Hawks team and it was just like, they just look like they are just like, like spoiled milk. They have expired. You need to throw them out. I mean, it is really at that point. And it just, I think you had a great tweet it was a couple days ago that it was this hawks team was very reminiscent of the pacers when rick carlisle stepped in here and you he looked at this each one they're 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 past their deadline at this point like it's just there is no saving them and i, I thought that was a great analogy
2: yeah and i feel like trey young's kind of similar to sabonis and the fact that you can only play one way with them so yeah. you know we, we keep hearing about dejounte murray being the guy that could be traded maybe it's trey young I, I don't think that's going to happen I think they're too tied, too attached at the hip, and they had a deep playoff run with Trey Young. I think if the Pacers yep. had had an Eastern Conference Finals run with Sabonis, maybe they aren't as willing to move him. So I do understand that. And Trey Young's had a really good season. He's just not been very good against the Pacers. I think, what is it, eight of 35 over the last two games against the Pacers for like a minus 43. So it's been Ugh. pretty, Jeez. pretty ridiculous for him. But I, I, I know that this Hawks team, they're they're going to continue to try to figure things out and kind of retool this roster. We uh, we have an episode that came out today as well with Michael Scotto talking about you know what the Hawks could do. But I just want to give some credit to the Pacers defense because this is now Flocchini. At this moment, you know the Pacers have held their opponents under 120 points seven times uh, in the last ten games, not including the Nuggets game. Now, if you want to include the Nuggets game, that'd be eight of the last eleven games they've held opponents under 120 points. Which is just really good to see because they've definitely embraced a new defensive scheme, and it's working out for them. I, I pulled up these stats before the Nuggets game, so I want to go ahead and list them. Um, so over the last ten games, when they were nine and one in that in that stretch, thirteenth in defensive rating in the league. They were also eighth in rebounding, Fodchie, ninth in steals, and sixth in blocks. So this Pacers team is in the top half of a lot of the defensive categories over the last 10 games, and I think that's definitely a huge part and um, the only real reason why I think they're actually in these games and winning these games. I don't care how good the offense is. They had improved defensively, and those stats right there are pr- are, are, are proof of how they have. Yeah, they, they
1: truly have because we talked about it. last time. I mean, they played the Hawks twice. They, they put up over 150 points in both of those games. They found a way to convincingly beat this Hawks team By scoring under 130. I mean, Mm -hmm. they scored 126, but they gave up far less points. The first time they played Atlanta, they gave up, I think it was 152 or 153. Either way, I mean, you held them 108. That is a big difference. So, you know, when you talk about that, they were 13th in defensive rating over the last 10 games, there was a span where the Patriots were last in the NBA. Last in defensive rating. And we were like... Man, we hope that maybe we could be a top 25, a top 20 unit. We have seen the changes, in my opinion, and there's no way to prove this. I just feel that that beatdown that the Pacers suffered against the Clippers, I feel like was just a, a massive eye-opener. They lost that game 151 to 127. And I just feel like that had to have been a wake-up call for this Pacers team. And I love what we've seen now. And I, I just feel like every person owned their role just a little bit more and it's great to see the Patriots are playing some of the best basketball that we could possibly ask for right now. And what we're seeing is even without Tyrese Halliburton, this team is not folding like a lawn chair. They took down the wizards. They took down the Hawks. And I just feel like there, it doesn't seem that there's signs of a a collapse or anything. Collectively, this group from one to 15 just feels better than previous years.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, this was a really good win for them to get the road trip started out. I think gave them a lot of confidence in who they are. And we saw that kind of confidence carry over into the Nuggets game. So let's go ahead and take a quick break, and then we'll come back and touch on this Nuggets game.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform.
2: Hey Pacer fans, Alex Golden here. I wanted to let you know about my new blog, The Blue and Golden. If you enjoy reading articles about the Pacers, then subscribe to my Substack, which is 100% free. You can find the blog at theblueandgolden.substack.com or you can follow the link in the description of this podcast. If you enjoy what you're reading on The Blue and Golden, please share the blog with your family and friends. Thanks for your support of not only this podcast, but my written work that can only be found on theblueandgolden.substack.com. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, Fauci, we're back, and this was a tough one. The Pacers go on the road, play the defending champion Denver Nuggets, Bruce Brown gets his championship ring, and the Pacers are without Aaron Neesmith, a guy that played in the game against the Hawks. Obviously, no Tyrese Halliburton. Juris Walker had just joined but had been dealing with an upper respiratory infection. That's why he was not on the road trip to start out with. And then you have to include the altitude that always plays a factor in Denver, too. So Pacers lose this one by eight, and they were right there the whole time. Felt like a very competitive game and a game the Pacers could have pulled away from if they would have just hit a few baskets here and there. But unfortunately, just could not get over the hump. What were your thoughts on this game?
1: I, I honestly, and maybe I'm crazy. I think if the Pacers have Aaron Smith, not even Tyrese Halliburton, they might win this game. Because you talked about it, the Pacers hung around every time it looked like Denver was going to run away with it. Here came here came a run from the Pacers, and I, and I just felt like I don't want to say I was happy with their effort in a loss, but I wasn't mad. There, there was This is defending champs that we're talking about, and the. Pacers, Pacers lose this game by eight, and it's not one of those games where it's like, yeah, but it really wasn't that close. The score lied. Nope. The Pacers were, at, at, at you know, after the first quarter, was tied. They trailed by three at halftime. They trailed by five going into the fourth quarter. So I, I felt like, you know what? Hey, this, this this the Pacers had opportunities, but there was a couple things that was interesting. The Pacers failed to score 30 points in any quarter yeah. the first time all year, and they gave up a season-high near 65% shooting from Denver. That right over there, you gotta you got to test the Nuggets. And I felt like the Pacers weren't able to test Denver as much as they had four players score 20 or more.
2: I tell you what, that is a tough Denver team to play against. It I mean, is. they just do so many things so well. But one of the things I was most impressed with was just the the shooting from Michael Porter Jr. Five of course. Two. 7-11 so from three. I mean, it felt like every time he shot the three, he was going in and it was, he was, he was wide open on a lot of them. And that's not really the Pacers' fault. I just think that, you know, Murray and Jokic, they draw so much attention that the Pacers really can't control either of those guys one on one. And Pacers got them in early foul trouble. It felt like, okay, they could take advantage of this. But it, it didn't really work out that way. And then DeAndre Jordan got in foul trouble. So that meant, of course, Nikola Jokic had to come back into the game. And when DeAndre Jordan fouled out, I was like, people are like on Twitter, like, yeah, kick him out of here. I'm like, no. DeAndre Jordan on the court is a is yeah. a plus for the Pacers. We want DeAndre Jordan to play more than seven minutes. Give him 15. Let him play the whole entire fourth quarter. I don't care. Of course. H- him getting technical fouls for setting illegal screens was just hilarious to me. But all I know is that this was a game where I was like, okay, the Pacers are, are doing okay. But one of the things that was interesting, we saw some incredible shooting from Obi Toppin in this game. Three of three from three, and, and he's been shooting the ball lights out. What frustrated me the most was the fact that he hit those two early threes back-to-back and then didn't shoot another three until the final minute of the fourth quarter. When you've got a guy like Obi Toppin hitting shots like that, I feel like you got to do a better job of trying to run some actions to get him the ball. Where you're just wanting him to catch and shoot, not being like oh like Buddy Hill running off all these screens and that kind of thing, but you know try to draw some attention away from his defender to kick it out to him for three. You know if Michael Porter Jr. can go seven of eleven from three for the Nuggets, I, I think that at least Obi Toppin can get eight attempts in a game, especially with the second unit and the way they were playing. So I don't know. I, I was just I wish I would have hunted that a little bit more, just knowing how effective he had been from outside. At least five or six threes, you know something. But
1: Obi's had that happen at times where he's kind of disappeared. Where after starting the game hot, and this was a matchup where I I thought this was a great set. This is the NBA's top scoring offense against the number two scoring defense. Yeah. So I thought it was a it was a great you know great matchup. But obviously the Pacers were not at full strength. If you want to say the top scoring offense, you you kind of want Tyrese Halliburton in there. He is the engine. But the Pacers were limited to just seven fast break points. So I feel like that was that was a big difference, you know, in this matchup. They really weren't able to play the style that they want us to play. But one thing that kept them in the game, they had twenty one more shots than Denver. And on the offensive glass, they won that battle fourteen of four. So I felt the Pacers did a great job specifically in the first half of giving themselves second-chance opportunities. They were beating uh, Denver on the glass by seven rebounds. Actually, it was eight rebounds in the first half. They got out-rebounded in the second half by 11. So they ended up losing the rebounding battle. I felt like Denver really came alive in that second half. In specific, Nikola Jokic. Uh, Jokic had uh, it was four shot attempts for six points in the first half. Yeah, And I went, this guy's way too good. He's going to turn it on, isn't he? He had 19 points in the second half. Finishes with twenty five in the game, so I felt like the second half Denver did what they needed to do, and they are a championship caliber team. They are the reigning champs, and I felt like Indiana wasn't able to really push forward in that second half, and uh, it showed for Denver and win.
2: Yeah, I felt like there was a stretch there in that in that third quarter, Fachi when the Pacers got up seventy one to sixty seven, the Nuggets went on a 9-0 run for about two and a half minutes, and that's when all the momentum uh, shifted. From the Pacers because the Pacers came out strong. Buddy Hill had, had 10 points in like two and a half minutes and really got things going. But that starting lineup, they just like it was so hit or miss. I think we got to give Bruce Brown a lot of props for the way he played today. He was probably the best pacer overall defensively, being able to get in there and get rebounds. He led the team rebounds with 10, had 18 points, led the team of points, and also had six assists, which was the second most, I think, for the team in this game. So that was great to see. But, you know, I just felt like that bench unit, you need a little bit more from him in this game. And Benedict Matherin getting an early foul trouble in the first half really hurt his momentum getting going. I, I know he had a little stretch there at the end of the third into the fourth where he scored, but it's like y- you need him to be better than that. And I've, you know, I was going back and not arguing, but I was discussing, you know, should he have started this game for Buddy Hood or not? And it's like, no. I mean, there's no reason to start him right now when he is gonna be doing the exact same thing with the second unit as he would be with the first unit. Just continue to let him go in the role that he's thriving in. But I just felt like T.J. McConnell, while he was great against the Hawks, two of nine in this game, and there was a a big defensive adjustment that the the Nuggets made in that second half, and they let McConnell basically have 10 feet of space to shoot the basketball. And McConnell was winding it up and pulling that shot from deep, and it was nowhere close. And it's like, no it's so frustrating because it's like he literally is a non threat from outside and it does clog the offense up a lot, even though he does some really good things and plays with a really good pace and gets into the paint quite a bit. When teams adjust defensively to him, he can become a liability out there to a certain degree. And it just makes the team a little bit more one dimensional and they can almost play four on five uh, defensively against us by just leaving McConnell on his own Island. No, they could. And just to go back,
1: cover it for Bennett Matherin, the foul trouble. He had zero points at half. He finished the game yeah, with 12, terrible. but he was 3 of 9 shooting. He he was a non-factor in this game, and Matherin's played great lately, so that that's unfortunate. But for McConnell, your point on that, he's now 1 of 16 from 3 mm. this year. And this is a guy who made 26 threes last year, which I know that does not sound like a lot, but he shot 44% from 3. Mm-hmm. This year he's shooting 5%. So, 5%. I mean, that's crazy to even say for an NBA player. So, it, it's not good. And at that to that extent, it is a, a liability. I did not like this starting five. What else could they really do when you're missing two starters? But I just felt like, okay, keep. I'm with you. Keep Matherin coming off the bench. I know that people are like, why is Buddy starting? I, I get it. I get it. But I just... Felt like this starting five didn't play great together. I felt like Andrew Nemhard, while he might have had twelve points and seven assists, I just felt like wasn't really getting you what you want. Like in the past, the last couple games, I felt like Nemhard and or McConnell, maybe them together, maybe one of the two, had been able to provide enough of what you need from from your point guards. I felt like that was not provided in this game. And then if you want to take it even one step further in terms of other guards, yeah, obviously Matherin struggled, and, and I felt like. Buddy was two of nine from three. I know from the field, he was six of 13, but two of nine. I've talked to you about this. I've tweeted it out, is it just me? Or when Buddy is wide open, is he too open? Because I feel like as such a good three-point shooter, for some reason, it feels like he makes more
2: contested threes than wide open threes. Well, I think for Buddy, he's a rhythm player. And so I was a little bit disappointed because he got off to an early start. Like 10 points, I said in that first two to three minutes of the, the third quarter. Two possessions after that, he was wide open Wide in the offense. And Turner shot a three, and somebody else took a shot and didn't pass to him, and Quinn Buckner brought it up. But I was thinking on that first shot, I'm like, why are you not just swinging it one more to Buddy? He's hot right now. And so the Pacers miss both shots, and then Buddy tries to come down and take one off the dribble. And then he started clanking them again. Yep. And, you know, maybe there is something to it where he is just too wide open. It's a mental thing. But I I don't necessarily think that's the case with Buddy Hill. I just feel like it's more of a rhythm thing. But I do want to go back to what you said about the starting five. I actually didn't think they played too bad in the first half because in that first quarter, they were right there with Denver the first seven minutes of the game. And it was like 18 to 16 or whatever before they made changes. So I was like, okay, they're hanging with them. You know, I thought that we saw some of the advantage of the double bigs working in terms of helping them get uh, more effective rebounds than they had been previously. So, you know, Jalen Smith played pretty big. I felt like early on. And then in that third quarter, I mentioned it, they went on that nine Oh run. The nuggets did after the Pacers kind of got that four point lead. And that's when the starters were out there. So, you know, it's not a group that I think you can rely on a lot for heavy minutes, and we haven't really seen that be the case. I mean, even against Atlanta, I think that out of the top six guys that play minutes-wise, only two of them are starters. So it just kind, kind of shows you, like, how balanced this team is, and there's not really, like, a set five versus another set five. It's just, like, we've got Tyrese Halbert, Miles Turner, and the other basically six or seven guys in the rotation can start or not start. Like, we can make the case for all of them. So – uh, I'm not really sold on anybody being like a legit starter or whatever. Like I don't think that's like how this team is built. But it does hurt not having Aaron Eastmith just because of the defensive abilities that he brings. And Buddy Hill's gotten better defensively, but at the same time, if you can probably limit Buddy's minutes and maybe, you know, just just imagine this. Aaron Eastmith takes all of Jordan War's minutes plus. I was gonna get to that difference. next. And, and I'm not even trying to hate on Jordan Moore because I thought he I had know. a good game against the Wizards. He did. And everybody's freaking out like, oh, should have started Jairus or played Jairus over Jordan Moore. Really, guys? Come on. What have you seen from Jairus Walker this year that makes you feel like that would have changed the game? I think it actually probably makes it worse. I don't think Moore was that bad defensively on ball, but he just had some really unfortunate shots that, that were not good and did kind of break some of the momentum up the Pacers could have had.
1: I mean, you would have thought you and I were in the same room. You and I basically tweeted out pretty much at the same time. Jordan War had those back-to-back shot attempts. Yes. That was like, what are you doing? That is not yes. a good shot. And someone even tried to like chime in afterwards, like he lost us the game. I'm like, okay, he didn't lose us the game on, on that shot attempt. There's a whole lot of other possessions. But I just felt like you don't need Jordan War playing 13 minutes. And, and and I get it in this situation. Okay, who else was going to take those minutes here? Sure. But with Aaron Eastmith there, Think about this. The Pacers missed seven free throws. Aaron Nesmith doesn't play. You had a couple of free throws. Aaron Neesmith stops one or two possessions. You're in this game. I mean, all of a sudden, it, it, could be a, it could be a tie game. You could win, whatever it could be. I just feel like, like not even throwing Tyrese Halliburton out there, just talking about Aaron Neesmith and hitting yeah. some free throws, I think could make a big difference. Did you happen to hear Rick Carlisle's post-game comments about the foul calls or
2: lack thereof, Denver in the second half. I think I saw something where he said it took almost 14 minutes yep. for them to call their first foul in Denver. I mean, yeah, that, that's
1: that's pretty crazy. You're talking about 14 minutes in. I felt like the Pacers had, had a span where they were getting
2: whistled for a lot of calls. They got a crappy uh, whistle in this game.
1: Yes, yes. And you know what? Look, I, I, I never like to be the guy who's blaming the refs, and obviously the Pacers came out on a better end against Boston. So you could say it evens out from time to time. But, yeah, I feel like this is a game that the Nuggets definitely got the better end of the whistle, and I feel like the Pacers also – you can't go 15 of 22 from the free-throw line. I, at one point, the Pacers were like, like three of seven or something. It's like, come on, hit some free-throws. Like, yeah. you had a couple more free-throws, it, it could be a different game. It really could.
2: Yeah, I mean, I felt that way early on, but then I saw that Denver was missing quite a few too. so I was trying not to, like, look too much into it, and yeah. kind of felt like it balanced itself out, but – yeah, it was just the efficiency of the shots. I mean, there was a time there where the Pacers were down by like seven or eight points, and I think even Chris Denary or Quinn Buckner brought it up where they were hunting for fouls. It was during the Jordan Moore stretch when he tried to like, it was a three-on-one. Obi Toppin gets a steal on Aaron Gordon. You know, that hurt me because, you know, I just love Aaron Gordon. I'm kidding, but um, you do, Obi Toppin had a great steal. It was a three-on-one opportunity, and Jordan Moore tries to draw contact on a layup and doesn't get it. And then the Nuggets get the rebound. And I'm like, what are you doing? You had a three-on-one opportunity. Toppin made the steal. Maybe you could kick it out to him, reward him for the three. Or you had Jalen Smith trailing. You you dish it to him, and he dunks it. You know, it was a very simple play, and Jordan Moore took the worst option. And then Miles Turner did the same thing down low when he was being defended by Jokic. Because Jokic is not a guy that's going to, like, really contest you hard." He's gonna be out of position and foul to prevent an easy basket, or he's just gonna. If you get in position, he's gonna let you have it and just go on to the next play. I mean, he's not one that really is super, you know, resentful whenever he's trying to play defense. So, I was like, "What are we doing, Miles?" Like, Miles had some really good plays in this game where he was playing some big boy ball, and I was like, "Man, I haven't seen that from Miles in a while." And I feel like since Carlisle's been here, we've seen a difference of approach in terms of how ferocious Miles has kind of been in the paint. But then you go back and look at his stats, and it's like he really only had 12 points. And it felt like he was more impactful in this game than just that, but he could not buy a basket from outside, just 4 from three. But he had some good looks and, and, and towards the end of the game where it felt like, man, him and Buddy healed both. And they just kept you know finding the iron and not the bottom of the net. So I uh, I was overall, like you said, I felt positive after leaving this game, just the fact that the Pacers hung, hung in with this Denver team that was fully loaded. But at the same time, you know, it stinks when you're when you're in a game and you just can't pull it out and you, and you can feel it the whole time. You're like, man, I just wasted my mm-hmm. my Sunday afternoon <laughs> watching this team uh, just hang right in there just to leave you on the edge of your seat enough to to, to disappoint you. And to an extent I, I did.
1: Even my wife was like, how come we're not watching the football game? I'm like, come on, baby. And we got the Pacers on and then the you know, football lose. game. Was there yeah. even a
2: game on the day?
1: Yes, there most definitely was. Uh, but it was a bad game. It ended up being a bad game. Uh, exactly. So in the end, I think this Pacers game was far closer than Green Bay versus Dallas. But at the same point for Turner, you talk about 12 points. He had 10 at halftime, just two yeah. in the second half. I, I just feel like the Indiana needed more Miles Turner in this game. To your point before, hey, if Ovi Toppin's got the three-point ball going, he's 4-5. or five. Why not keep feed him the rock? Then also, you made a great point about Bruce Brown before. I saw you chirp back at someone. Someone was like, Bruce Brown's awful. Like, get him out of here. or Something like that. It's like, Bruce Brown played pretty good. He, yeah. he did play good. It was on and- Facebook,
2: which I never get into, but they were like, can't stand Bruce Brown. I was like, why are these comments coming right now when he's got 14, 8, and 6 with a quarter and a half left to play? And he's like the leading scorer, leading rebounder, and assist, man. What are we talking yep. about here?
1: Shot 8 of 16, and it, it was just like crazy. Yeah, let us in like virtually every category, you know, but... You could tell that this one, like, Bruce wanted this one a little bit more. Like, you could just see it was, like, against his old team, the return to Denver, getting his ring. Like, you know what, I really want to show them. And it's like, he did have a good performance. And I don't care what the plus minus says for in this situation because none of the starters really played well. But I just feel like I, I know from the eye test, Bruce Brown had it going. He had 10 rebounds in a situation where your second lead, you had one other person have more than four. Actually, yeah. What, and that's crazy. I mean, the Patriots had two players with more than four rebounds in this game. I just feel like that that can't happen. You need a little bit more. Jalen Smith, just three rebounds. You know, Turner had four. I mean, come on. You need more yeah. guys to step up on the glass. And I, that's what I mentioned before. I feel like in the second half, Denver really stepped up on the glass, ended up out-rebounding the Patriots by 11. That's a big difference because that's what Indiana had going for them in the first half. Denver made the changes. Overall, just like you, not a bad loss. Felt like it could have been a win. In this situation, Aaron e. Smith did get some rest. I wish we could have had him out there. You know, obviously, Hal Burton, there was no expectation of him being out there. But, and for Jarrus Walker, if you're dealing with the upper respiratory issue, it doesn't help to be playing in Denver with the high altitude for anyone who's, you know, really banging at the TV and yelling, where where is Jarrus Walker that is most definitely a, a reason that could uh, aid into not playing him tonight.
2: Yeah. I'm getting kind of irritated with all the comments, almost every game about Jairus Walker. It's like, guys, what are your expectations at this point? We're almost halfway through the season. Jairus. Walker are part of the rotation. We're winning. We're playing great basketball. Yes. Rick Carlisle is going to trust a three or four year, a three or four year player and Jordan Mora over Jairus Walker against the defending champs and a really Tough game, tough environment. I mean, you don't even have I I think honestly, and I think I tweeted this out at somebody. Here's how the pecking order went for today's rotations. Jordan Moore as the tenth man, play a nine-man rotation, Jairus Walker. That's how it was basically set up. The Pacers would have rather played a nine-man rotation than play Jairus Walker in this game just because he's not ready for this moment. I'm so I I'm I, I'm trying to be nice and, and not get too upset because I understand we want to see Jairus Walker get minutes but like it's not the right time. This Pacers team is clicking, they're trying to win games. He's coming back from a sickness. He's he's really not shown that he can be a part of the rotation yet and if the and the coaching staff who has done an incredible job all season long doesn't feel like he's quite ready yet. Then why are we not trusting them? This team is currently 6th in the Eastern Conference but they're tied for 4th based on their record. So let's just relax. They're playing good basketball. They're in a good spot. No reason to sit there and force minutes to Jairus Walker to the detriment of our team while you've got a guy like Obi Toppin and Jalen Smith and even Aaron Smith who are handling that spot and that position much, much better.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I just feel like right now Jalen Smith's giving you good minutes. Obi Toppin's giving you good minutes. It's just like, guys, it's it's tough right now. It really is tough. If the Pacers were not winning games, I understand. Yes. But we are ahead of expectations. We are. This is a team that right now, if Haliburton doesn't go down, I mean, I, I feel great about this Nuggets game. I Honestly, the way they're playing right now, if Haliburton was out there, I'd feel good against any team in the league. And I know that for some that could sound pretty bold. Does that mean we're going to beat everybody? No. But what it means is that we could beat anybody on any given night with this roster and a healthy Tyrese Halliburton, and I think that, that is something that we could not say the last few seasons. So for now, hey, let's rest up a little bit, and we're gonna be all right.
2: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not worried about it. Like it's weird to me, but I actually felt like semi okay going into this game against Denver. I didn't feel like it was gonna be a blowout. I said we might even surprise them a little bit. I don't think it's because they're overlooking us. I just think it's because we're playing good basketball right now, and our bench and our bench has been our has been our strength for so long. So, I'm curious to see what happens Fachi um against Utah tonight when we play the Jazz. It's going to be an interesting game just because I know this is a team that's been playing really really good basketball as of late. We talked about this almost being like a scheduled loss because it's altitude back-to-back, but thankfully they had, you know, some time in between games to at least travel and get there. Not a crazy long, you know, travel. I think it's like 3 hours away from Uh, just driving, if I'm not mistaken, from Denver to Salt Lake. Maybe it's about five or six. I can't remember. But I have made the drive before from Salt Lake City to Colorado. I just can't remember what part I went to. Um, But it's not that far. They're they're close, right? So I I think that it's going to be okay for the Pacers. They'll be all right. I, I hope that they can bounce back and just have a good night against Utah. Maybe they start shooting the ball well again like they did against Atlanta. Maybe they have a hot shooting night against Utah because I feel like the way this Utah team is playing, they're going to need a hot, a hot shooting night, and they're going to need somebody to really put Larry Markin in on lockdown because I am very nervous about him. And ironically, I'm nervous about Kelly Olynyk off the bench.
1: Oh, good old Kelly Olynyk, the the number ten on my trade request list. And uh, you're it up a while me. ago that no one ever lets me forget. Uh, but you, uh, you, you don't player. let yourself forget.
2: I you still mean, want it?
1: Uh, and people bring it up from time to time. But this you is a Jazz team. No, like I like I mean what he would what I do? But that's what I'm saying, like would I take them? Look, I I would. I mean, what do we do we have to give up something really for them? I don't know. But at the same point, this is a jazz team that you mentioned it. They're hot. They've won eight of their last ten. I mean, they are now sitting above five hundred. Don't overlook this jazz team. It might be cold out in Salt Lake. But they're hot right now and they are sizzling. God. So oh yeah, you know, you know, it's gonna hit you one of those zingers. Oh man, so
2: help us, Lord. Well,
1: we will see what happens. I really hope Aaron Neesmith returns, but overall the NBA has done a much better job of doing these West Coast road trips where it's like you're traveling a little bit compared to flying all over. Because think about this. They just the Pacers played Atlanta and then they flew essentially fully across the United States. Deploy Denver. Yeah, that's not a not an easy trip to make. Now you're staying in just a couple hours, and and that's fine. But overall, hey, we knew this West Coast road trip was not going to be an easy one. So far on the road trip, the Pacers are one and one. We said, hey, if you can be three and three, not bad.
2: If you can go four and two, now we're really talking. We'll see what happens against Utah. We will see what happens, Fachi. But with that being said, I think we're, it's a good time to wrap this one up here. So I hope you guys enjoyed both the recaps of the win against Atlanta and the tough loss against the Denver Nuggets. Fachi, go ahead and tell the people where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at STP. You can find Alex on Twitter at
1: NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersPodSTP. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on
2: TikTok at Setting the Pace. And, Alex, tell them where they
1: can check us out on YouTube.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, go to YouTube.com slash Setting the Pace on Pacers Podcast where you can find all of our post-game podcast recaps. I think that's a lot of fun when we do those over there with our video on so you guys can see our beautiful radio faces. But you know i want to thank everybody already because you guys have done uh, a good job of leaving us ratings and reviews we've seen the recent ones that have come in but please don't stop there if you have not left us a five-star rating interview and you like what you're listening to please go ahead and do that and if you haven't subscribed to the blue and golden dot i would appreciate a subscribe subscription over there they are free of charge you can pay if you like but i do not charge it for any of my reading it's all on a donation type of basis so with that being said Bocci, if you're hoping the pacers can bounce back and take down the utah jazz to get back on the winning streak here for this road trip then hit me with those three words let's go pacers